0: Father, I want to thank you. My heart is so full, Lord, just full of reasons to praise you, not the least of which is you are great. And even even when life is hard, you are great. We praise you that, that Christ will come back again with shouts of acclamation. And we will respond in his coming by declaring forever how great you are. So we praise you for being great and we thank you for being good, for being kind to us in Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the kindness of letting us celebrate night to shine on Friday. Thank you for letting us be near you. Thank you for living in and among us. Thank you for Georgiana being good brothers and sisters, great gospel partners. Thank you for Pastor Corky leading that flock to focus on making the main things the main things, that Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no other way to you but through his work. Father, thank you for leading us to serve with our brothers and sisters and thank you for our special guests. Help us to love and serve children and adults and families of individuals with special needs. Uh, Father, not so much that they need us, but we need them. We need the reminder of how how great you are. Your image just pressed all over them. Thank you for it. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace as we study your word this morning. That we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what you'd say to us. And Lord, we know we're not the only church in town that's gathered for that purpose. So I pray for Pastor Joshua Smith and True Life Church in Melbourne That Father, you'd fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit, the knowledge of your word, with hearts to believe and obey. May they know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in the glorious name of Jesus we make this prayer, and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing our study on the book of Hebrews, Uh, Real People, Real God real lives, real faith. We're looking at what God is doing in and among his people. And as I was thinking about this morning, it kind of stood out to me that for people who believe in the existence of God, which by the way, is the vast majority of people, not only in the world today, but throughout all of time, most individuals, who've ever lived have a, an innate belief in the existence of God. If you drop into a remote jungle that's not been influenced by the outside world, there's a high likelihood that that village believes there is a deity, a God of some sort, and that that God uh, causes questions to arise among them. Questions like, what is God like? Who is he? What is he like? How does he feel about me? Those questions are common among most people. As a matter of fact, most world religions are an attempt to answer some of those questions, to to tell people what God is like, who who he is, how he feels, or how he could be pleased with them. So for instance, if you go back in time and you visit the ancient Mayans, you'll find there's a belief in who they thought God was and how he felt about them and how they could please God their God or their gods. That's why they offered their children as sacrifices. That's why they gathered maize together and piled it up before an altar on one of those pyramids. They believed something about who the God was and what he was like and how he would be pleased by them. If you you went over to Egypt, ancient Egypt, you would find a a similar thing, a view of who God is, uh, of what he's like, of how he would be pleased by them. And invariably, as you look at the religions of this world, you'll find that those are questions that people are asking and seeking to be satisfied. Who is God? What is He like? How does He feel about me? And I just wanted, I want all of you to leave this morning knowing that those questions have answers. There is a God, and you can know what He's like, and you can know how He feels about you. You need to know this God can be pleased. Even more specifically, You can be pleasing to God. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that really has that as its heart, as its foundation. What is God like? How do we approach him? How is he pleased with us? So let's continue where we left off last week. Hebrews chapter 11, I'll start reading in verse four and I'll make it so far into this passage. We'll get to verse six, verse four. We'll be in Hebrews 11 for a while, guys. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him. So that's a pleasure word. God is pleased with him. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of God for us this morning. We're gonna work our way by God's grace through those three verses of scripture, but I want us to really see uh, right off the bat a, a verse that jumps out in those three verses, and it's verse six. And what I want you to see about verse six is really this. I want you to have this as something you walk out with this morning, and it's this, God can be pleased. God can be pleased. If you're not careful, you'll read those first verses or first words of verse six, and you'll walk away with the negatives sticking out in your mind without faith. It's impossible to please God. And for some people, those words can be demoralizing. They'll think, well, I might not have, and so I probably don't please God. God, and I pray you don't see verse six that way. Verse six is a shining example of encouragement to us as people that God indeed can be pleased by you. As a matter of fact, chapter 11 in Hebrews is a compilation of 20 some people throughout time who by the very virtue that they lived out what the verse six is telling us, they were commended, they were pleasing to God. And I want you to notice what's happening very quickly in Hebrews 11. It's not that the author pulled out 20 people throughout the history of time because only 20 people in the history of time were pleasing to God. It's that the author of Hebrews in the inspiration of the spirit starts at creation in verse three, Moves in verse four to Abel in verse five to Enoch all the way through, including Abraham and Sarah and all of these individuals to verse 32, where it ends with the word the prophets. And that's a, a compilation of thousands of years of human history. That's what's going on in Hebrews 11. The author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is compiling thousands of years of human history and pulling examples of people throughout those years who pleased God. And here's the point. Throughout time, God is pleased the way he has always been pleased. Pleased. There wasn't an old way to please God and a new way to please God. God doesn't change with the whims of times or seasons. How you feel in the morning doesn't influence how God is pleased. God is pleased the way he's always been pleased today and forever. And he is pleased through faith. He's pleased through faith. That's why all of the stories of these people start with the phrase by faith or through faith or in faith. And I just want you to listen to that and let your heart hear it this morning. God can be pleased. You can be pleasing to God today. You can bring a smile to his face and him find pleasure when he thinks about you and it happens through faith and and notice how he describes how faith interacts with God in a pleasing way. Look at verse six again. This is in that second phrase for whoever, notice this, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists And that he rewards, now look at this phrase, those who seek him, who would draw near to God, those who seek him. Don't miss it. Verse six is telling us God can be pleased. And part of the way faith pleases God is that faith wants to draw near him. It wants to be close to him. It desires him. It seeks him. And I've got to tell you, I love that. You want to know why I love that? I'll tell you no matter what if you want to know. I'll tell you. I love that because I've been around annoying people. And I don't name any names. I'm not saying they're in the room. I'm just saying. Have you ever been around annoying people? Am I one of those people? It's a Subtle little question there. For people who are deeply annoying, you know, the people who just get on your nerves, they grate on you. For those people, the most pleasing things that an annoying person could do is leave you alone, (laughs) right? When it's a super annoying person, the greatest pleasure you get from an annoying person is watching them go. And that's not how God describes his pleasure in us. That's not, he says he's pleased by faith and that the kind of faith that pleases him is the kind of faith that wants to be near him. He's pleased with people who desire to draw near, to live with him, to seek him, to know him, and be known by him. God is pleased not by you leaving him alone, but by you wanting him, desiring him, seeking him, drawing near to him. And that happens by faith. That's why it's impossible to please God without faith, because by faith, you draw near to God. By faith, you seek Him. By faith, you know Him. And the author actually gives in verse six a couple of qualifications about faith that help you understand why faith draws near to God, why faith seeks God, why faith desires God. And let me just go through those really quickly. The first qualification about faith that helps you understand why it draws near and seeks God is there in the third phrase of verse six. Third phrase of verse six says this, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. So faith, believes he exists. Now listen, I hope you read that correctly. Correctly. I put three more syllables in that word. Correctly. You have to read that correctly. You must believe that he exists. This is not some generic faith in a generic God. This is specific faith in the one true God who actually exists. Let me give you an illustration. Let's suppose you wanted to get to know my mom because you heard about her sweet tea and of course it's liquid gold and everybody loves liquid gold, right? So you want to get to know my mom, the source of liquid gold, sweet tea. Well, you'd have to start with some basic beliefs. So let me just start with this basic belief. How many of you believe that moms exist? Would you raise your hand? Nearly all of you believe in the existence of mothers, nearly all of you, which is somewhat startling. So that's good and all, but it's not enough. It's not enough to make you want to get to know my mom, because you'd have to believe something more than the fact that a mom exists. You'd have to believe that my mom exists. So how many of you guys believe that I have a mother? It's really funny because I actually took note of those who didn't raise their hands. Some of you believe I have a mom and you don't even believe moms exist. It's an incredible situation we've got here. So let me just say this. So it's good that you would believe that I have a mom if you want to get to know my mom. If you'd like to be near my mom, it's good to believe that she exists. But let me just say this. If you guys believe my mom exists, uh, let's just take a little survey. How many of you guys believe my mom is a six foot four Samoan woman? Anybody, anybody? (laughs) Okay, all right, yeah. It would take a tough woman to raise a man like me. You get that. Try your patience. There's nothing wrong with that. 100-year-old Filipino woman. How many of you think my mom's a 100-year-old Filipino woman? Okay. How many of you think my mom's a goldfish? How many of you? have got three or four, literally more than, okay. How many of you believe my mom is a palm tree? A palm tree, okay, good good. I've got to tell you, I really need to make my teaching more elementary than it's been because we had a dozen or so on palm tree and even more for goldfish. Here's the story. Just think about this really quickly. Since moms exist, and not just moms, I only have one, my mom, the mom, who is the only mom for me. She really exists. And since she really exists, she's not a figment of your imagination. You don't get to just make up who she is. She is who she is. Since that's true, what would happen if you believed my mom was a 100-year-old Filipino woman and you wanted to get to know her? You would start looking in the direction of 100-year-old Filipino women. And you could very easily bypass my mom on the street. My mom's actually in this room. She's not a Filipino woman and she's not a Samoan woman. Uh, My mom is a, I think, five foot three inch girl from West Virginia. Mom, raise your hand. The, uh, The author of Liquid Gold. If you want to get to know my mom... Their line will be forming down here and she'll tell you if my stories are true and accurate, okay? But what would it look like if that's my mom and you believed she was something else? What if you thought she was a palm tree? I'll tell you what uh, would happen. One, you'd look really weird talking to a palm tree about your pastor, okay? I would prefer that over talking bad about me over lunch, but that's another thing entirely. You'd also miss out on meeting my mom, You'd miss out on knowing my mom because you'd have an idea in your mind that would actually keep you from recognizing my mom when you were laying eyes on her. Does that make sense? And there's a similar thing that's true about God. God is who he is. Don't you remember? That's basically his name. I am that I am. He is who he is, not who we imagine him to be. He made us in his image. We don't get to make him in our own. And believe it or not, there are people around this world who imagine God to be the equivalent of a palm tree. It's called pantheism. And they have made in their mind an idea of who God is, and the Bible says faith that draws near to the one true God is faith that believes he exists, and he exists for who he is. And you need to know this. You either come to God for who he is, or you don't come to him at all. You're coming to a figment of your imagination. And that's why last week we emphasized so so much through that sermon that, that faith is a belief in who God really is as he's revealed in the Bible. And, and I know I brought up silly illustrations because I, I actually want to use some that probably are lodged in your mind. Not about palm trees and goldfish, But many of us in this room don't realize how many rotten ideas about God we bring into this place. Some people see God as a grumpy old grandfather who lives upstairs. And he's good and all with the kids down here so long as we don't make a mess of the place. But you don't want to get him mad and make him come downstairs. Just let him be. Some of us see him as the unsatisfied father that no matter what you do, it's never gonna be good enough. Some of us see him as the important, busy, powerful ruler, president, king, that he has better things to do than spend time with insignificant little people like us. And the saddest thing about us holding on to those ideas about God is that a God who doesn't exist is keeping us from knowing the God that actually does. And so if you will be pleasing to God by faith, You must believe that he exists and he exists for who he is. And that brings to the second part of chapter 11, verse 6, that gives us a key as to why knowing him as he is motivates our hearts to draw near him, to seek him. Look at the last six words of verse 6. He rewards those who seek him. By faith, you must believe that he exists and he exists as one who rewards those who seek him. Guys, it pleases God when by faith you believe that he is God good to people who desire him, who want him and want to be near him. It pleases God when by faith you believe that he will generously pour out blessing upon blessing forever on those who desire to live near to him, who draw near because they want to know him and be known by him. Write this verse down. Psalm 1611. Psalm sixteen, eleven. We could go throughout the scripture over and over and over and over again and talk about the goodness of God, the rewarding that he gives to those. Psalm 1611, I believe, is a great summary of the reward of God to those who come to him. Psalm 1611 says this, for I know that in your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. God is the capital S source of pleasure. Pleasure. Not some half-hearted, two-bit, counterfeit pleasure that makes you feel good in a moment and guilty in the next. That's not it. It's pleasure forevermore. Pleasure that never ends. Pleasure that never diminishes. Pleasure that never brings guilt. He is the source of eternal pleasure and a fullness of joy. Not the kind of joy that makes you feel a little bit is lacking. Not the kind of joy that would cause you to say, I love this, but I also need other things. He alone is the source of everlasting joy and eternal pleasure. That's just one verse but it tells us who God is and faith that pleases God the faith without which it's impossible to please God believes that he is who he is and who he is is the source of highest pleasure and eternal joy and he's the only source of those things which means true faith desires to be near him. And so that's why Hebrews eleven six 6 would say, without that kind of faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to him, and you don't come to him if you don't believe he's the source of joy and pleasure, must believe that he is, that he exists, he is who he says he is, and that he rewards, he gives the joy and pleasure that he is to those who draw near to him. And you guys know the story, Right? that all of us have sinned and have been separated from that God. And I hope you know that sin at its most fundamental level is actually unbelief that God is who he says he is and that he is a rewarder. So for instance, the very first sin, Eve did not believe that God was the fullness of joy and satisfaction. She believed she needed something else to fulfill her joy and satisfy her. Eve actually believed that she could live a life with the knowledge of good and evil that would be better than just God and God alone. And so in unbelief, she took the fruit and ate it. Adam ate that fruit because he desired to have the same pleasure as Eve and he desired to live with his wife even more than live with his God. And you need to see that all sin at every level at its most basic form is a rejection of the truth of who God is, which means it's a, a rejection Of God as the greatest source of joy and pleasure. It rejects him as the capital R reward for those who come to him. And because we've sinned, we are separated from him. Um, But the good news of the gospel, guys, the good news of the gospel comes in. And the good news of the gospel is that God in his mercy decided not to leave us that way, not to leave us separated from him. So he gave us his son, He gave us his son, Jesus, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. As a man, Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life that honored God as God that came to him and sought him in faith and obedience. Jesus as a man died the death we should have died as a payment for our sin, our unbelief, our turning for satisfaction and joy to other sinful things. And three days after his death, Jesus rose again from the dead so that he could demonstrate his power to please God on our behalf and his power to live through those who would trust him, to give a new kind of life to everyone who would trust him. And here's what that means. If you are going to come to God, if you're going to seek God, then you have to come to him through faith that he has been good and will be good, primarily through the work of Jesus. John fourteen six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me give you an illustration. This was helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you. Imagine that God lives on the highest, most unclimbable mountain in existence. And that at the top of that mountain, he's built a city, a city that's filled with joy, that he gives pleasure to all of its inhabitants, that he shares himself and all that he is with all who dwell in that city. But imagine that all of us live at the bottom of that mountain, that there was a time when we lived at the top In perfect communion with God, but we chose to slide down the hill. And if you've ever been sledding up north, you know this sliding down the hill is a whole lot easier than climbing back up. And we slid down the hill, we took the thrill of the hill and couldn't climb our way back up. So there we were, stuck at the bottom doing life separated from the fullness of joy at the top of the mountain. And God in his mercy chose not to leave us there. So he sent his son to come be one of us. He came down the mountain. And as one of us, he did something we couldn't do. He climbed the mountain on our behalf. He climbed the mountain of God's holiness, of perfect obedience, complete righteousness, step by step. Jesus did what we could not do for ourselves. And as he climbed up that mountain, Jesus built an escalator up the side of the mountain so that if we desire to be near God, believing that he was at the top of that mountain, believing that he was the source of joy and pleasure that we couldn't get at the base of the mountain. If we desired to draw near to him, all we had to do was put our full weight on that escalator and the work of his son would take us back to the top of the mountain. And it would take us back every step of the way. You guys know how escalators work, right? You're not like Buddy the Elf from the movie. You put your full weight on and you stay on the whole ride. It it isn't a one step and then climb the rest of the way. It's a one step and it takes you the rest of the way. And here's the story. You could try to climb up on your own, but you can't do it. And the kind of faith that pleases God is the kind of faith That desires to be near him because it believes who he is is good and joyful and pleasurable and it trusts that Jesus is the way. His work is enough to restore us every step, not just a one-time moment, but the entire journey. The work of the Son sustains us and brings us back to God. And the, the illustration, I know, breaks down in a lot of ways, but what would happen if someone tried to climb up the other side of the mountain while God's Son had built an escalator on the other side? Multiple things would happen. It wouldn't please God as one of those. Things and it wouldn't please God because it didn't honor the work of his son, and it didn't please God because it didn't accomplish the goal of restoring people to himself. And so, the only way to please God, the only way that makes every other way impossible, is that you believe that he is and that he is rewarder, he is good. And so you seek him, you seek to be near him by faith. It entirely depends on Jesus. And some of you might say, okay, what does that have to do with Abel and Enoch? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at those verses really quick before we go. Because these are illustrations of what that kind of life looks like. Not just a moment in time, but a life. Look at verse four. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Stop right there. These two stories share a lot of of, of characteristics. One characteristic is this. There's not much written about their story in the Old Testament. It occurs in Genesis 4 for Abel and 5, Genesis 5 for Enoch. And you don't have very much detail written about them. Uh, The other similarity is because there's a lack of detail, there are there are a dozen questions that people want to ask about them. So, so people hear the story about Abel and like, so what was it about Abel's sacrifice that made it acceptable to God when his brother Cain's sacrifice wasn't acceptable? And so they put all kinds of questions out. Like, was it because that, that Abel had an animal sacrifice and not a vegetable sacrifice? I mean, if you put a plate of meat and a plate of vegetables in front of me, I know which one I would choose, Right. If God didn't want us to eat animals, he wouldn't have made them out of meat. We know that. That's just basic logic. Did God tell Adam and Eve how he wanted to be worshipped? How to bring sacrifice? Did he specifically tell them how and what to submit as offerings? What about Enoch? What happened to that dude? Where is he now? Did God take him to another planet? Is his body on Mars? What happens at the resurrection? Dozens of questions about these two And here's what you need to know. The Bible doesn't give us the answers to those questions. The Bible tells us what we need to know. And here's what we need to know. Both of those men pleased God. And they pleased God precisely because they had the kind of faith verse 6 described. They believe God is who he is. And because they believed that he is who he is, they wanted to be near him. They wanted to live with him. They wanted to draw near to him. Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God precisely because it was the expression of the kind of faith verse six is talking about. Enoch's life was pleasing to God precisely because... Genesis 5 says he desired day after day for 300 years to walk with God, to do life with God. He wanted God and he believed God was better. In Genesis 5, Enoch has a reputation of walking with him because he wants to be near him, because he believes something about him, namely that he's good, namely that he's better than everything else. In Genesis 4, Abel brings a lamb to God because he believes God is good and he's worthy a sacrifice. He willingly brings that lamb because he believes that God is better than that lamb and he's worth giving that lamb and that God is better than 10,000 lambs. So he's motivated to worship God and sacrifice. Enoch's motivated to live with God on a daily basis. And when you put those descriptions of faith together with all the verse six teaches us, you find the big idea and it's this. God is pleased by faith that produces a life of daily sacrificial worship in response to who he is and what he says. God is pleased by faith that produces a life of daily sacrificial worship in response to who he is and what he says in the Bible. Guys, when you believe that God is who he says he is, that he's the God who gives fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore, you want him and you want to be near him and you believe that he's better than everything else. You believe that nothing else can give you that kind of joy and that kind of pleasure and whether you know it or not, that kind of faith motivates 10,000 decisions you'll make this week. This week you're gonna have 10,000 opportunities to either live like you believe God is the source of greatest joy and pleasure and you can come near to him and he is worth it to draw near to him or you'll have 10,000 opportunities to live like everything else is better than God and worth drawing near to to them. Let me just give you some examples. God says in his word that he abundantly supplies the needs of those who give their money to make him and his gospel known. And every time a person believes that about God and his reward and his goodness, and then gives a portion of their money to make God's glory known in this community and around the world, what they're saying is they believe that knowing God and drawing near to him and his work is better than a life that includes that amount of money, but doesn't include God and his blessing. God says in his word that he blesses integrity and honesty. So every time a businessman or woman sits in their office all alone filling out reports and they're faced with the choice of fudging the numbers so they'll get more money or living with the blessing God says he'll bring and he'll reward as, as a result of honesty and integrity, what they're saying is they would rather have a life with God and without that money than to have all of that money and not have God and his blessing because they believe he's better, he's a rewarder. He is good, he is who he says he is. God says that purity will bring greater pleasure than sexual perversion. So every time a man believes that and sits in front of a computer screen all alone and he chooses not to look at vile websites, he is saying as a result of that faith, belief, that he would rather have a life with God and without that pleasure, that half-hearted, two-bit, fading, guilt-ridden pleasure of sexual sin, he would rather have God and not have that than to not have God and have a life filled with that kind of pleasure. God says that loving and serving your wife like Jesus loves the church is a reward in itself because it's good for you and not just her. That's Ephesians chapter five. So every time a husband hears that and believes that and then by that faith believes that he should hold his tongue from speaking harshly to his wife or that he should serve her when he gets home from work, he's saying he would rather have a life with God and his blessing because God is a rewarder and not have a life that gets the last word or props up his feet more often than to have a life without God and his blessing that gets to prove his wife wrong all the time as if that's ever going to happen. Do you see it? It's a life. 10,000 choices every week. You will have To express and live in like Abel and Enoch that you believe that God is and that he doesn't just exist, but he exists for who he is and he is good. He is a rewarder. He is a fountain of joy and pleasure. And that faith on a daily basis produces a life that looks like sacrificial daily worship that believes God, that believes he exists and he is who he is. And he'll do what he says he will do, namely give joy and pleasure to those who seek him through the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. And some of you might ask, well, why didn't you start with that bit on daily sacrificial worship? Like the whole practical part. Like why not tell us to be generous in our giving and honest in our work and to be pure in what we look at and loving to our wives. Why not start there? And here's why we wouldn't start there. Because those things don't please God unless they come from a heart of faith in Jesus. You can give all the money you have and you can have all of the honesty and integrity at work you want. And you can abstain from looking at awful things on the internet. And you can say kind things and do kind things for your wife. And if it comes from a heart that isn't a heart of faith, it does not please God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's the first reason. The second reason is this. Doing those things the way God actually says cannot actually happen unless Jesus empowers those things in you. You may say nice things. You may even do nice things. You may even do a lot of good things. That still doesn't separate you from a Pharisee. Because we are dead in our sin until Christ makes us alive to God. So the questions for us this morning begin with this. Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone? Do you believe that the work of God's Son restores you in perfect relationship? Do you believe that God is good? That he's better than any other thing? And is that belief, that faith producing in you a life of daily sacrificial worship where 10,000 times a week you willingly lay down things because you say Jesus is worth it. He's better than this. So I will seek him. I will trust him for the reward. I will believe him for things I don't yet see. Without that faith It's impossible to please God. But with that faith, you bring a smile to his face, a joy and gladness to his heart. So leave pleasing God by faith. Would you bow your heads with me and reflect? Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone to make you right with God? Do you believe that he came down as a man to do for you what you can't do for yourself? And have you put the full weight of yourself only on the work of Jesus? Or are you trusting in other things to make you right with God? Your good works the fact you're here this morning, the fact you were baptized at some point in time, are you trusting in things you've done or are you trusting in what Christ has done? If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus to make you right with God through his life, death, and resurrection, would you call on him even right now? Call on Jesus to save you. Confess your inability to make yourself right with God Confess your faith that Jesus can and will make you right with him. The heart of that kind of faith is that you believe not only that a generic God exists, but the real living God exists and that he is good, he is better than everything else. He's better than riches and wealth. He's better than earthly fleeting pleasures. And so the question for you becomes... Not only are you trusting in Jesus, but many of you would say, yeah. But is that faith producing in you a life of daily sacrificial worship that says in the privacy of your heart and your home, in your marriage and in your work and your parenting, that you believe Jesus is the source of greatest pleasure? Not money or sex power or sports, entertainment, acceptance from your peers, that Jesus and Jesus alone is the source of greatest pleasure. Would you pray that Christ would empower that in you today? That he would empower you to believe and live like you believe. That no matter what you are called to lay down, no matter what the sacrifice might be, Jesus is worth it. Father, we love you and are so grateful. lord so grateful that you love us. Thank you that you want to be near us and you want us near you. Thank you that you're not aggravated or annoyed by your children. Thank you that you're not too busy to have us around or too important to show us attention. Thank you that you give eternal pleasure and fullness of joy to those who live in your presence. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to want that kind of pleasure, to want that kind of joy and to not be satisfied with anything less. Pray that we would believe that you are who you are, and that you are a rewarder for those who come to you by faith. Lord, we love you and we bless you. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.